Today's reading comes from the book of James, chapter 4, verse 1 to 17. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend with, you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who cares to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or, do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city and that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is life? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. Let us draw near to God and submit to his will. Through his genuine repentance and steadfast faith, we can find solace in the midst of lies and uncertainties, embracing the transformational power of God's grace to guide our hearts and actions. Thanks be to God, and thank you, James. Good morning, Faith Westwood Church family, and, and good morning, and welcome to those who are worshiping online with us today as well. We have been exploring this and that. We've been doing this since I began on July 9th. This is our sermon series from the letter of James to the early Christian church. These words of ancient wisdom have reminded us already of trials and temptations, listening and doing, speaking and acting, faith and deeds. 
And last week, we talked about horses and ships, learning how to handle our tongue twisters as well as those slips of the tongue. Now, before I talk to you this weekend, I want to invite you to join us online next week. We're going to be singing and praying with the letter of James chapter 5. And we are going to be including some very special prayer stations and opportunities in worship. And don't worry, online viewers, we're going to have some special opportunities for you to join us as well. Today we're going to be talking about submitting and resisting and consider the ways that we can submit to God and then we can also humble ourselves too. You are invited to follow along as we dig into God's word today. The page number for uh, the Pew Bibles is listed on the screen, and you are always welcome to bring your own personal Bibles to worship. You can also use a Bible app on your mobile devices. Would you please join me in prayer? Almighty God, open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see your glory in our midst. Open our hearts that we might know your spirit's presence with us in these moments. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. How many of you have heard of Barbenheimer? Oppen Barbie. Have you heard these phrases? These are terms that the social media has coined after the Greta Gerwig movie Barbie and the Christopher Nolan movie Oppenheimer were released on the same day, July 21st. These movies, to say it best, are extreme opposites, and yet the phenomenon has been called the movie event of the year. Now, no matter whether you call it Barbenheimer or Oppen Barbie, it's actually an example of counter-programming, a marketing strategy in which a tonally different film is released on the same day as a major film. The purpose is to appeal to an underrepresented group. Releasing Barbie, a fantasy movie, and Oppenheimer, a biopic, has actually been successful, getting millions of people to see these movies back to back, even inspiring viewers to change clothing items from maybe all pink and into more somber attire. Now, honestly, this technique has been criticized. It's been deemed controversial, especially by people in Japan, for somehow making light of the destruction caused by the atomic bombs. The first use of counter-programming was detailed, though, in 1966, when competing television stations would try to draw attention to their new shows. I cannot help but think about this concept of counter-programming when we reflect on the words and themes from chapter 4 in the letter of James. Now that James has the church's attention, he speaks words that they wished were so much easier to follow than to just hear. James knows that these believers were clearly living in the world, and yet he continues to challenge them to not be of the world. These Christians then have to reconcile themselves to what this means, especially in terms of all of their relationships. Today, as you and I consider the ways that we might be submitting and resisting, we're going to reflect on relationships with desires, with God and the world, with neighbors, and even with time. So first, let's talk about relationships with desires. James quick 
quickly identifies what causes fights and quarrels among God's people in the church. And that's from their desires that battle within them like two wolves. He says, you desire and when you don't get it, you kill. You covet and when you cannot get it, you quarrel and you fight. I, I was thinking that kill is such a barbaric word to use about not getting one's desires, but James wants his wisdom to be forceful. The world promotes dog-eat-dog, dog, as well as violence and force and power to get what you want. The world suggests that if you have desires, you must do anything to get those things. The world also gives thousands of pictures and sound bites of things that we didn't know that we need. We easily can see in our world how people fuss about not getting what they covet. Now, maybe this is most evident when people are trying to get tickets for the next big concert, or maybe it's when they're trying to get football tickets in Nebraska. Or maybe it's even when they're trying to get the best prices on Black Friday. And just letting you know that there are only 134 shopping days until Christmas. <laughs> just want to put that out there. But no, that's not what James is talking about in his letter. In fact, I believe it's even worse in our day with commercials that bombard us, inviting us to desire more and more. Perhaps it's comforting for us to recognize that God's people have been desiring and coveting and trying to keep up with the Joneses for centuries. In its original context, though, those who desired and coveted would have forgotten the source of their strength. They could have easily been swayed away from their faith. Then James says that the truth is that these believers and us don't have because they and us don't ask God. When you and I pray and when we ask God for something, James warns that you simply cannot have the wrong motives. That would be like praying for wealth and then spending what you might receive on your own pleasures. James recognizes how God's people are very stuck on self-centered desires, putting their own needs and wants first. Of course, James is always concerned about the spiritual health of God's people. Desires for stuff in this world, whether in the first century or the 21st century, keep people from being in relationship with God and thinking about the kingdom of God. So when James calls these early Christians adulterous people, they might have heard it a little differently than we did. They would have gone back to those times remembering when God's people broke their covenant with God over and over and over again. James intended these words to remind them of that covenant unfaithfulness. They would also have been very familiar with the rabbinical tradition where there were two competing spirits in every person. Does this sound familiar? One spirit that was inclined toward evil and the other spirit was inclined toward good. Now these former Jews were Christians, Christian believers. They had the teachings and the sacrifice of Jesus to remind them that they were new creations. 
They had to put aside their past, all of their bad habits and behaviors, and especially their worldly desires. Therefore, if they continue to choose these desires and friendship with the world, they would actually be enemies of God. The immediate solution was to remember that God's grace could cover a multitude of desires and be theirs if they could just set aside their pride and humble themselves before the Lord. Along with the early church, we need to hear these words that reminds us that God wants that spirit to dwell in us. God wants to give us more grace. God truly does want us to be less proud and to humble ourselves too. Because of this, James continues to focus in his letter on the relationship with God and the world. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Get it? Got it? Good. But wait a minute. Like those first hearers of these words, we wish that they were as easy to follow as they are for us to hear. How exactly can we submit to God and resist the devil? This is all about rejecting the notion of being a friend of the world and turning our minds, hearts, and spirits toward being a friend of God. And in response to this, James says, sinners need to wash their hands. Wash of their hands of the things that get them dirty. Of course, this is spiritually speaking. We may be tempted to dig into the mud and the muck and the mire of this world, but let's wash our hands of those things. Those who are double-minded need to purify their hearts. If their hearts were filled with worldly treasures, they would be cluttered with those things. They would be double-minded when it came to their allegiances. Remember that Jesus had taught the disciples and crowds, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. James says believers need to grieve, mourn, and wail. These are signs of repentance. We can repent of those things that distract us and that get in the way of our relationship with God. Do we feel badly when we sin and when we fail miserably? Grieve, mourn, and wail, and keep moving forward. Believers need to change their laughter into mourning and joy into gloom. Boy, James is a buzzkill. Does he really want Christians to be all about doom and gloom? Not exactly because these are more signs of repentance. Think about what is the source of your joy and laughter. Is it the world or is it God? It doesn't mean that you have to give up comedians altogether, (laughs) but it just means that you have to watch what it is that you are pouring into your souls. And believers need to humble themselves to be lifted up. When we put ourselves and our needs and wants first, we falsely believe that we are more important than others. To humble yourselves before God and before others allows us to lift up 
to be lifted up in the most honorable of ways. Of course, when we think about all of these things, this language of James is not language that we use very much. When someone has a problem, we don't say, just go grieve, mourn, and wail about it. (laughs) We don't say that. It's not at least the kind of language that the world uses. In fact, the world will encourage us not to do those things. Or at the very least, just play with them. Imagine having a Bible app that every morning said, by just spending five minutes a day, you can have the best relationship with Jesus. Or imagine five minutes, you think just five minutes of drawing near to God will get me through everything that I'm going to experience. But then you spend two hours binge watching a television show. Those things just might be cutting corners on your faith. So the language that James uses is spiritual language, not worldly language. Yet perhaps if we began talking more like this and that, we would choose to be more friendly with God than we are with the world. After addressing relationship with desires, relationship with God in the world, James talks about relationship with neighbors. For people to be in relationship with one another, they simply cannot slander one another, nor can they speak against a brother or sister in Christ. If you do that, you are speaking against the law. We can imagine that the early church was filled with judgment because those early Christians were always testing out the law. For some of them, the law from their past gave them rules and commandments and guidelines to follow to a T. In the present, these believers were going to have to test out the law with Gentile believers who were now welcomed into the church family. But they were so different. They were from other nations. They, were, they came from other belief systems. Oh, my. James emphasizes that there is only one, one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. The church had to fully embrace the law of Christ that focused on loving God and loving neighbor. The teachings of Jesus were now coming into full focus and clarity as Christians were being put to the test. And they would be judged for what they did, but they would also be judged for what they did not do. Apparently, James can feel the church's pain. He asks... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Remember again that James has addressed so many subjects already, yet being authentic Christians was at the very top of his list. These believers needed to talk the talk and they also needed to walk the walk. Christ was counting on his followers to look and to live differently in the world. And James wants these believers to succeed as individuals living out their faith and as the church making disciples of Jesus. As individuals and a church family, how are you on the scale of of really judging your neighbor or barely judging your neighbor? Think about the relationships that you have with brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about the relationships that you have that have been challenged through the past three years, as well as those relationships that have been challenged over this past year. 
Where have you been tempted to be more judgy than you needed to be? Sometimes churches even find themselves getting a little judgy with those that they are serving through their community partnerships. Think about the people that this church is serving through the FaithWorks Pantry, through Love and Learn Daycare and Preschool and other mission projects. How do we make sure that we are fully submitting to God with our actions and fully resisting any judgment? By the way, it's important to say that I certainly have not seen any reason to believe that this church is being judgy in how we are supporting these ministries. In fact, I have actually seen how you value these ministries and you value the people who are being served. Amen? In fact, over $3,520 has been raised for the Faith Works Pantry. Amen? This is awesome. Yes. And by the way, between services, there was so much food that they had to take it down to the pantry already so that it was ready for second service. So thank you. Love and Learn Daycare and Preschool has put out a plea that they need dorm-sized refrigerators for their rooms. Four have already been donated. Thanks be to God. Yeah. We can clap. Yes. We can celebrate. Relationships, according to James, with desires, with God in the world, and with neighbors are so important. And yet James has one more relationship that he feels that Christians need to address. And that is relationship with time. Through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself taught, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So in his letter, James warns about boasting about tomorrow. Those who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make some money. He says they are fooling themselves. No one knows what's going to happen today. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, James reminds us of the truth. Our lives are like a mist. They're here for a little while, and then they vanish. Talk about humbling. A better approach, according to James, is to acknowledge if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Yet above all, James doesn't want anyone to boast about tomorrow or the this and that things that you want to do. This boasting goes hand in hand with what Jesus taught because God's people cannot help but to worry about their lives and worry about their relationship with time. Let's admit that we fuss and we fuss about the time that we have already spent, thinking about whether we've made the best use of time, also thinking about the things that we may have missed out on. We also fuss and fuss about the time that we have left, everything that is on our to-do lists and those things that are on our bucket lists. I believe that this part of James's letter connects well with submitting and resisting. For James, like the other wisdom writers, time is a precious gift of God. 
So for a couple of moments, let's reflect on how you are doing spiritually in relationship to time. Do you spend your time wisely focusing on your relationship with God and with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? In terms of time, do you ever find yourself boasting about this and that? What do you need to change in order to use your time more wisely in the present and in the future? And with your time remaining on this earth, what do you want to accomplish, not for yourself, but for Jesus? The bottom line for us today is to consider how we might be submitting and resisting when the world will pull us this and that way. James has inspired us, yet reminds us that we need to grasp resources from our faith toolboxes. So I wonder, what's in yours? Maybe you are including songs like Jesus Loves Me, How Great Thou Art, and even The Goodness of God, or Good, Good Father, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Maybe you are including the words of your favorite scripture verses and passages. Maybe you are including the important lessons that you have learned by being a part of a faith group here. The letter of James inspires us to remember that if we have to live in the world, we don't have to be of the world. We can be submitting ourselves to God who is our creator, our shepherd, and the rock of our salvation. We can be resisting the evil that keeps us from being the people that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, needs for us to be most for this world. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty and gracious, loving God, as we are in your presence, you remind us that there are two wolves, two spirits that are within us. One that's filled with so much goodness and the other that's not. What are we going to feed? James reminds us that we are called, we are challenged to be the people that you created us to be. To be Christians who are growing spiritually, who are seeking to do your will, and who are always recognizing that we can humble ourselves so that we can live in this world but not be of this world. God, please be with those who are grieving this day. Those who are grieving the losses they've experienced. Let's pray for our nation and our world and for people who are experiencing natural disasters right now. Let's pray for those sitting around us who need to be filled with your grace and your love. God, bind our hearts with yours and help us to be for this world all that we can be. 
in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples a family prayer saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.